Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo! How about that? You should have been pulled in the front room they have faith in you. You should have been pulled in the fifth but they had faith in you. Welcome to another edition of the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. It's episode 13! Your hosts, Christopher Deary and Michael Govier, are ready to unleash an incredible tournament of the greatest World Series team since 1980. So get ready to start splitting hairs and looking at the finer points of every team since the birth of these two fine young gentlemen on August 22nd in 1980. That's right, they share a birthday. So, they figured why not? Let's find out who's the best of the best since 1980. Here's your host, Christopher Neary and Michael Govier. Take it away, boys! Hello everybody, welcome to the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. It is Wednesday, April 1st, 2020. The quarantine carries on. And we are here, ready to serve the masses. Christopher is here. Uh, we are going to talk about some fun stuff today. We Chris came up with a great idea. We're going to dive into it in detail. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Chris, what is this basic idea that you floated to me the other day? Yeah, so it's kind of something that I've loved to do ever since I was a kid, but also something that's really trending right now all over the place because there isn't any sports. Um, and that's kind of creating a you know, mythical or, uh, you know, suspected brackets of uh, teams or players, or I've seen it with like movies. Um, you know, they did a simulated bracket for the college football or college basketball tournament. And uh, we're going to do one uh, involving baseball. And what we're going to do is we're going to do the greatest World Series teams since 1980. So Mike and I were both born August 22nd, 1980. So we've been alive for 39 titles. Uh, obviously a little too young for some of these teams, but uh, we've created a 40-team bracket, um, seeded them as best we could. Uh, there's quite a bit of debate about it, which we will uh, hop into. But uh, Very controversial. Yeah, we're going to need some particip participation from uh, the Twitter universe here, as each day we're going to kind of roll out a team and uh, a matchup and have you vote on it, see who uh, will advance to be the greatest baseball team since 1980s. For those of you that don't know, me and Chris were born on the same day in 1980. So for us, it makes a lot of sense to kind of explore the best teams since we've been created by our parents. So August 22nd, 1980, the world changed forever when you and I were born, Chris. And now we have this opportunity to find out who's the best. We have seeded with 
much debate. Me and Chris went back and forth over the last 24 hours a lot. And now we have what we feel is pretty fair. We talked about doing best team records during the baseball's regular season, but then you also have to think about great playoff runs like the 91 Twins or the 2001 Diamondbacks who didn't win a ton of games, but they were, they were part of really memorable World Series and playoff moments where you're like, wow. If I had to win, because like the 2001 Diamondbacks to me, they're a five seed, I believe. Is that what we settled on? I can't remember because we changed it so many times. But they're a, yeah, they're a uh, six seed. Okay. They're, they, I think they were as high as a five, and then uh, they've been bumped down to a six now. So. so, what my point being is that if I had to roll into a playoff series with pretty much prime Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling, I'd be really happy about that. So, that's why I look at them as someone I wanted to seed higher, but they also didn't earn it as much in the regular season. And that's where the fun comes in, I think. Uh, we tried to create parameters, right, Chris? Yeah, somewhat. We're going to, you know, it's, it's based on hitting, pitching, uh, you know, kind of what type of run you went through in the playoffs, uh, you know, manager that you might have. If you have a really super cool mascot, maybe that'll bump you up an edge. But uh, really it's going to come down to uh, these rosters and what a matchup would look like. Now, we're looking at seven-game series. So, like you said, a team like the Diamondbacks, they're going to be going up against the 9 Yankees in a 3-6 matchup. That's a very intriguing matchup because uh, – the pitching of the Diamondbacks might be able to move on from that uh, series. Uh, so, yeah, so those are, those are some of the parameters that we're looking at. Uh, this is fun. I'm super excited about this. Uh, I don't know if you want to roll through and do some of these kind of just talk about maybe the top seeds, and then we can dive into the first round. Yeah, so here's the plan. We're going to roll it out on Twitter tonight. We're recording this episode right now. It's 530 East Coast time on Wednesday. We're going to record this episode, and then we're going to put it out. And then we'll debut the eight first round matchups that we have. I don't know how you pulled this bracket off because it <laughs> it's hard to do a forty team bracket. It's not like a standard thirty two team or a March Madness bracket. How did you create this bracket? Oh, it's super easy. You go onto Google and say forty forty team single elimination tournament, and they'll show you a bracket right there. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. It's not hard. I mean, I'm someone who's been doing like brackets like this all the time with like you're the bracket master. I'm the I'm the bracket man. So uh, you, know, no, you, always, you got the whiteboard always. Yeah, there is one caveat to this: is there's only been 39 World Series champions in our lifetime, so we had to find a 40th team. Mike, do you want to share who that 40th team was? Well, uh, we decided to go with the 1994 Expos during the strike year. Now, this may be controversial, and we're not trying to create a hot take zone where you're going to come. Hey, you guys are the blah 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 blah. We simply thought that. The Expos were the best team in baseball when the strike happened, and it's generally believed that they had their best shot, and the franchise was destroyed by the strike. So we threw in the 94 Expos as a number 10 seed going up against the 2003 Marlins, who were able to take Steve Bartman's magic and turn it into a World Series title. So that's one of our first-round matchups, and that's going to be a lot of fun to see how you guys vote on that. So real quickly before we dive into each first-round matchup, which has eight. There are eight of them. We're going to put them on Twitter. We're going to give you a week to vote. We try to release a pod every Wednesday night. So we're going to start it tonight. Let it roll for a week. Just vote as many times as you can get. Get the word out. Get the whole of the fan bases. Let's really try to get our generation together and create a, a true winner. That's the goal. Because we're not going to have baseball until at least June, most likely. And uh, we got a couple months to make this a fun tournament. 
I know there's a lot of brackets out there. There was a big part of me when Chris brought this up, like, oh, God, we're doing the bracket thing like everyone else. But I actually, this actually hit me in a spot where I'm like, I, I think this is fun. This will be cool. So that's all we're going to do. We're going to roll it out, and you guys are going to vote, and that's it. We're not in control other than creating the seating. So with that said, remember, we're Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's on Twitter, Instagram, same thing. If you want to email us complaints, any modifications that could be put into play, we won't rule anything out, but Palazzo Podcast at ProtonMail.com. Two L's, two Z's, ProtonMail.com. That's how we do it. Okay, so Chris, we've got... I guess four regions you can call them, and there's two games, two matchups in each region on the outer edge before we get into the what you would call maybe the first round. They're kind of like playing games, right? Yeah, we're looking at eight, nine seeds and seven, ten seeds. So you're looking at you know the bottom uh, bottom sixteen teams here the last forty years. Okay, well let's kick it off at the top. We'll go from the upper left and make our way down and come back up to the upper right. That is that how you? Uh, when you're filling out a bracket, how do you start? Where do you like to start? I start from the left, and I go down, and then I switch over to the right. That's exactly what I, I wonder if everyone else does that. Let us know how you fill out a bracket. Do you start yeah, to Yeah, are you right to left? Are you up, then down, down, then up? Who knows? Yeah, bizarro world. What are your bracket styles? Call us right now. Okay. All right, so the first matchup is the 2013 Red Sox, a team that we really hate around here in Detroit because they stole a title from us, our best chance maybe. Versus the 2000 Yankees. So it's an 8-9 matchup, 2013 Red Sox, 2000 New York Yankees. Chris, do you want to kick it off? Give us some opening thoughts on this matchup. Yeah, I mean, so Red Sox defeat the Rays in the division series, three games to one. That's no big deal at all. And then, uh, obviously, our hearts as Tiger fans were broken in the ALCS as they win four games to two over the Tigers. Um, and then they take care of the Cardinals four to two in the series. So, 13 Red Sox, they're what here? They are a they are the eight seed, so they're gonna be home favorites here against the Yankees. But uh yeah, that 13 Red Sox team, um, a lot of ga- a lot of guys in that team that you definitely know of. I mean, uh Pedroia was there who was injured for actually no, he wasn't injured. I'm wrong in this. Yeah, Pedroia, 84 RBIs, nine home runs. You know, he was kind of the stalwart. It was all about David Ortiz, though. Ortiz had a mega season, 30 home runs, 103 RBIs. Um, you know, guys like Mike Napoli has really crazy season. Mike season. Napoli for him. Napoli looked really good. Uh, what it was really about was their pitching staff, though. John Lester, fifteen and eight, three point seven five ERA. John Lackey, even though he had a losing record, had a really good ERA of three five two. And then one of the most amazing late season runs ever seen by a pitcher, Clay Buckholtz, goes twelve and one with a one point seven four ERA. Just has an amazing second half of the season for the Red Sox and gets them to win the series. So uh, not the strongest of the Red Sox teams from uh, the, the uh, what, 2010s to 2020s. But, uh, you know, they got it done. Obviously took care of the Tigers, who I thought that was the Tigers' best shot to win a World Series. So, uh, you know, that's what we got on the Red Sox end. Uh, and they'll be going against the 2000 Yankees here. So a couple thoughts. Uh, I remember Mike Napoli was a killer against the Tigers, not only for the Red Sox, but in the Rangers in the 2011 ALCS when he was with the Rangers team. He was just a playoff god there for about four years. He was a huge difference maker. And that bothers me because he was just a pudgy – he was a powerhouse. I mean, I give him credit for that, but 
God, that really chaps my ass. I can think of them now. I went to the 2011 uh, ALCS game where Nelson Cruz hit the go-ahead home run in extra innings. We lost at Comerica Park. That was a real bummer. Ah, yeah, Napoli was a real tiger killer. I mean, he, it seemed like he was in the series like every year between the Red Sox and then the Rangers doing so well. Right. Okay, so as far as the 2000 Yankees, they are the last team, as far as I know, that has won a World Series title in uh, back-to-back years. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. They're like the tail end of that dynasty, 98, 96, 98, 99, 2000, but they only won 87 games. They were not a powerhouse in the regular season, and they were able to finish in first just ahead of the Red Sox. But that was after, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, losing 15 of their final 18 games, which was oh, just it was. It was a, yeah. Unbelievable. It was a total meltdown. The Yankees uh, had some fun moves they made. They picked up David Justice around June for, check out these names, Ricky Lede, Jake Westbrook, and Zach Day. How about that? Oh, wow. <laughs> Glenn Allen Hill was part of this team in late July, and they picked up old men like Jose Canseco and Luis Polonia and the classic Luis Soho, who was a, a fan favorite, I believe. So this team... I, I am not a Yankees fan. I think we got to get that on the record. I can't stand the Yankees. I think they're annoying because they're just so good. They've always been good. And there's so much lore in baseball history about the New York Yankees that it bums me out because I like to make room for all the teams. But we had to include every World Series winner. And if I had to pick a team, I'm going to take the 2013 Red Sox just because I think this is the crappiest of those Yankee teams that went on that run from 96 to 2000. And the Red Sox were uh, – despite hurting me greatly, I just think they're a slightly better team. What do you think? Yeah, I think what sucks is the 2000 Mariners were supposed to be the team, man. They were supposed to be the team to take down the Yankees. Obviously, they, they set American League record for wins, and they just they couldn't get by the Yankees. The Yankees win four games to two, and then the Yankees just take care of the Mets in the Subway Series in 2000. Uh, well, the 2001 yeah, Mariners team was the 116-win team. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 116 wins, uh, American League uh, record. Um, yeah, I think I'd be leaning towards the Red Sox, too. I mean, David Ortiz, you know, just comes up huge in the playoffs all the time. Um, Grand slam, Torrey Hunter falling over the wall. <laughs> I mean, can you trust, I mean, Scott Brocious? I mean, obviously, the guy's always been a playoff performer, but, like, I mean, Chuck Knobloch, he didn't have that great of a season there. Uh, I love Tino Martinez and Jorge Posada, but, yeah, these are not the best teams out of those Yankees or Red Sox dynasties, but I would yeah, I'd probably lean towards the Red Sox. Um, David Cohn for the Yankees, he, him and Roger Clemens were pretty much done by then. Um, they didn't have much left in their arms. Uh, you know, Pettit was still young, but I mean, they didn't really have much of a pitching rotation. Obviously, their bullpen was was stellar, but uh, yeah, I, I think the Red Sox would win this game, win this series in six or seven. This is what blows my mind. This is the steroid era, still, right? We agree that this was definitely. Steroid times. This is going to be the best part about debating some of these teams because you look at some of these teams, like look at, you know, the 2009 Yankees and how many home runs they hit compared to the 82 Cardinals. <laughs> exactly. The, the 2000 Yankees, their lead, their team leader in home runs was only 30 home runs by Bernie Williams. And this is at the height of the steroid era in a park yeah. that was really easy to hit home runs. in. I find that to be really interesting. 
and the fact that Bernie Williams had 121 RBIs. I mean, what a he had 300. What a year! That was like one of his best years ever. I, I got to give him a lot of credit on that. But it's just not a roster that was the I don't know the height of the team. This, there's still Tino Martinez and Paul O'Neill, and like you said, Scott Brocious, but. This is not a feared Yankees team, but in the playoffs, they just stepped it up because they had guys like El Duque and Andy Pettit and Roger Clemens. And even though David Cohn was done with the seven ERA in the regular season, you had Mariano before he had his meltdown in 2001, a year later. So this is a team that has still got a lot of playoff experience. And they probably, if this game was to happen in a bubble, they probably beat the 2013 Red Sox, but I would love to see it because both these teams have playoff um, panache, like a, a fantastical magic about them in the playoffs. Yeah. What I also liked about the the Red Sox, I mean, their bullpen could probably match the Yankees there. Uh, Koji Uhara, Tazawa, Andrew Miller, all those guys were absolute studs. I mean, Andrew Bailey was kind of all over the place for them, but once uh, Andrew Bailey, once Miller ended up being kind of the lockdown guy, going seven seventh and eighth inning, like they're pretty good. Look at look at this name, Felix Dubrant. Remember Felix Dubrant? Sure I do, yeah. For the Red Sox that year. Um, Ryan Dempster, you know, Lackey and uh, Lester were obviously the two workhorses for them. But, uh, yeah, I Lackey, think uh, – What Lackey did was amazing. Lackey gave himself this new life. It was crazy. That really pissed me off. Yeah, 34 years old in the in the 2013 season. But, uh, yeah, not a super exciting – team either way i think these are two of the kind of lower end teams of this uh tournament uh but we'll, we'll see how voting goes uh we'll see uh how many more red sox fans are than uh yankees fans or are people going to be true to their hearts are people going to stay away from their hearts and go about what the really would happen in a series so uh exactly we did it we put the red sox versus the yankees it's not the same year but it's still fun and then the winner would take on the 1998 yankees who is the number one seed in that bracket so that'll be uh It'd be kind of interesting if the 98 Yankees take on the 2000 Yankees. I wonder how that'll go. Yeah, I mean, I'd be shocked if the 98 Yankees don't at least get past a couple rounds, being that they won 114 games, uh, lauded as being one of the possibly top five teams in all of baseball history. So it'll be interesting to see as we uh, move further into this tournament. Okay, let's move up to matchup number two in this region. It's the seven versus the 10 seed. It's the 2003 Florida Marlins, not Miami Marlins, versus the 10 seed who got the obligatory kind of gift selection. 1994, what if Montreal Expos? Oh, man, Felipe Alou and company, what could have been? This is a fun matchup. I, I don't know where to go with this. What do you think of this matchup? This is one of my favorite matchups as we had finally decided on a bracket. Um, like, what a lineup they had, just looking at some of their numbers. Derek Lee was a – Bonafide superstar for a good four or five years. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, his career kind of went downhill as, as he was in Chicago for a little bit longer. But, yeah, he had 31 home runs, 92 RBIs. Mike Lowell, 32 home runs, uh, 105 ribbies. Uh, Juan Encarnacion, former Tiger. He had left the Tigers, and he was with the Marlins by then. He was a real stud outfielder for them. Had a great uh, playoff. And then, obviously, they had Pudge Rodriguez, who was, you know, the stalwart behind home plate, captain of that team. Um, obviously, everybody remembers the, the crazy series they had with the Cubs in 13, uh, one of the most memorable series ever, actually, as everybody knows, uh, you know, with Bartman blowing it. And then, hey, uh, Alex and then Gonzalez. The, and then the Cubs blowing game seven. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it should all be about Alex Gonzalez's error that attributed to, what, five runs that inning? That's a bunch of crap. Yeah, the Cubs screwed them. 
ah, the Bartman thing is just the biggest symbolism of lies, man. It's such a lie. Well, yeah, Gonzalez makes the error, and then they still had a chance to win Game 7, and they took the lead in Game 7 as well and lost it. So uh, It's the same thing that we were talking about the other day with the uh, Royals-Cardinals and the Don Deckinger call. They still had yep. Game 7, but the mental, uh, the mental pain was too great. They just folded. Both teams folded. Yeah, and then you get, you know, World Series. They take down the, the, the Yankees and what everyone saw as a huge upset. Um, Josh Beckett was unbelievable in that series. I believe he won World Series MVP. Um, looking at that pitching staff for the Marlins, I mean, it was pretty solid. You had, uh, I mean, Beckett had nine wins, uh, but everybody else in that lineup had, in that staff, had over 10 wins. Uh, Dontrell Willis, amazing 3.30 ERA, 14 wins. Carl Pavano was a stud before he got his huge contract with the Yankees. A.J. Burnett would do the same thing. <laughs> Brad Penny. I mean, yeah, they just had a bunch of uh, guys that were rock solid. Um, you know, all guys that were in their 20s on the pitching staff, and they – you know, they really took care of business. Uh, Juan Pierre, another guy that uh, 65 stolen bases for Pierre. So he was amazing at the start of that lineup. Uh, this was a good team. I don't think people should think of this team as a total fluke. I think they were better than the 97 team. And, uh, I yeah, I love this matchup against uh, the 94 Expos. That Obviously, we didn't get to see a full season with them. Yeah, that hurts because we, we don't know what would have happened. The numbers look great. The players are – a lot of great players. You got Pedro and Ken Hill, Jeff Facero, and then you got John Wetland, the Petter-ass scumbag now, apparently. But at the time, he was a really great closer. And Mel Rojas was also their former closer. So they had, they had a deep bullpen in a time when the bullpen was not nearly as important as it is in today's game. But Ken Hill was only 28. He was in his prime, and he was definitely the ace of that staff. Pedro was only 22 years old, so there was still a whole lot to come from him. But the lineup's legit. Larry Walker, uh, Will Cordero. Will Cordero was a huge prospect who never turned into what people thought he would be. But that's just a name that blows my mind. Will Cordero. I remember people always talked about his rookie card. Oh, Will Cordero would be great. But he never panned <laughs> out. But uh, it's just a real solid team. The outfield is amazing. Moises Alou, Marquise Grissom, and Larry Walker all in their prime at 27 years old, each of them. That is a killer outfield. Yeah, you got 200 RBIs between the three of them. Uh, Grissom could steal bags. Larry Walker, obviously, just getting into his prime. He was 27 then. Obviously, newly inducted Hall of Famer. Um, 21-year-old Cliff Floyd. Every single guy in their starting lineup for their lineup and their pitching staff were all in their 20s at this point. All 26, 27, 28 years old. They're all in their prime. And Rondell uh, White was their fourth outfielder. I mean, he's yeah, Rondell, yeah, he was young. He was only 22 at the time. Super young team. God, so exciting. Um, the Yankees had a good team that year in 94 as well, but all the buzz was about the Expos. Don Manningly, the what if. Man, bummer. But in this matchup, what do you do? Where do you – I don't know. This is a really tough call. I, the only reason I'm leaning towards the uh, Marlins is – Trader Jack was a great manager. He had he had so much experience. He was in his seventies, I believe, at that point. It was he was such an old man. I believe he was seventy. Then. Yeah, yeah, he was he was on the end of his career, but he got his World Series title. And Josh Beckett was amazing. I remember sitting at a we were at a Red Robin or some lame ass restaurant watching Josh Beckett shut down the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, and I was just so impressed. I'm like, this guy's gonna be a Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. That didn't turn out, but. He had the stuff. 
he could have been. He had the bulldog mentality. Just uh, pitchers are weird, right? Sometimes it doesn't work out. Don't forget Ugeth Urbina coming out of the bullpen for the 03 or the 13 uh, Marlins. Didn't he murder his gardener? What happened with that? Did he kill his gardener or the gardener kill his wife? Or uh, I think he's dead now. I think he killed himself in jail or something. Oh, he so he did murder his gardener then. Or somebody off him. Yeah, he, he murdered somebody. Remember, he couldn't come back. He was like, oh, Ugeth Urbina murdered his gardener, so he can't come back. That's too bad. How about, how about this name on the uh, 13 Rockies? Uh, Tim Spooniebarger, relief pitcher. Uh, Tim Barger. Was he a loogie? He appeared in 33 games and pitched 42 innings. I do not remember this guy at all. I remember most of these players on both these teams. I do not remember this guy. So let's make, it, make a choice then. What would you do here? If you had to vote, who would you vote for? God, I mean, I just would have loved to seen what Pedro could have done at that age when you get into, you know, the playoffs. You also got to remember, you got 22-year-old Miguel Cabrera that had his, you know, rookie year just starting to break out with the Marlins, had a real nice home run there in the playoffs. Oh, man, this is really tough. To he go was through. 20. Yeah, he was 20 years old. It's 20, and unbelievable. He made a, he would look slim. I remember what he looked like. He was a... I was like, oh, that guy looks promising. I mean, these bullpens look pretty even. I guess you could go either way. I mean, Jeff Vicero and Butch Henry had really nice seasons for uh, the Expos here. Oh, man. It's so hard because the Expos didn't have a full season. I mean, they probably would have won 100 games. Braden um, Looper. What about Braden Looper? Braden Looper. Yeah, I remember him. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you what. I, the Marlins did something – in the playoffs that I thought was impressive because they beat the Giants in the NLDS who had just gone to game seven of the World Series. So Barry Bonds was the biggest stud in the world. That was impressive. And then they won, obviously, how we all know, over the Cubs. And then they still had to beat the Yankees in New York during a time when the Yankees were really clawing to try to get back to a World Series title because people still thought they had a lot of talent. And they did. So I think their playoff run is what's going to give me the, the vote just because, unfortunately, the Expos got screwed. We can never know. So I'm, I'm picking the Marlins. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd, I'd go that way with you as well. I mean, they're 91-71 and 71 during the regular season. Finished second in the NL East. So they're a wild card team. But, yeah, that playoff run, you beat the Giants. You beat the Cubs, who everybody in America was pretty much rooting for the Cubs at that point. And then you beat the, the vaunted Giant in the Evil Empire. In, in, Six games. So, uh, yeah, I would probably lean towards the Marlins. Really interested to see how this goes in the voting on Twitter this week. Uh, I yeah, me hope too. that the Expos are getting some love and people remember uh, what the Expos were able to accomplish in those 120-some-odd games. But, uh, wow, unbelievable matchup. Love this matchup. So the winner would get the two-seed 1995 Braves. So it would be like an NL East matchup regardless, which is kind of fun. So – it would Love be cool that. to see the 94 Expos go up against the 95 Braves, who maybe the Expos should have won the 95, but they, they couldn't have been that depressed from 94. I don't know. It's, it's such an unknown. And, but that's why this is fun. I think there's some real joy to this. And, and one last thing about the Marlins, they fired Jeff Torborg after they went 16-22, and 22, and then they, hired, they brought in Jack McKeon to finish out the season. And they're one of those teams where, you know, fire the manager about 40 games in and it flipped the script on the season. So Yeah, McKeon, McKeon goes 75 and 49 the rest of the way. 
that says a lot. That that if that's the team as constructed, then they were a really maybe they're uh, slightly underseeded. I don't know. I know they only won ninety one games, but that's for you guys to uh, debate as well. All right, let's move downwards to the lower left corner, and it's time for the. <laughs> I know exactly where I'm going with this vote, but we'll play it out. It's the 8-9 matchup. The 2011 Cardinals, the we'll see you tomorrow night, David Freeze walk-off, versus the 1990 underdog of a lifetime, Cincinnati Reds. I wanted to put the Reds higher in the bracket, but I, have, I had to respect the rules because they only won 91 games. I, I understand. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a Cardinals fan. Any of these Cardinals teams that are in this bracket, I know you love the 82 Cardinals, but uh, – this 2011 Cardinals team, I mean. Whoa, 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 I want to be clear. I love no Cardinals team, but we try to be objective as best we can as Tigers fans. There's a long history of the Tigers and the Cardinals that goes back decades and decades. I, I'm having a hard time just looking at this Cardinals lineup and being like, how, were, how did they end up on top? I mean, they have the amazing series against the Rangers, obviously. One of the best series you're ever going to see. Seven-game series. They, they take care of the Brewers who on this unbelievable run. Uh, in the NLCS, take care of, you know, a Phillies team that was basically on their little run of uh, 08 to 2012. By the way, it's a shame that there's no Rangers team in this bracket. There should have been at least one Rangers team in here. Yeah, I thought about that too. Teams that really, really could have made it. Those Rangers teams were, were amazing. Yeah, 2010 and 11, that was their best shot. And they just, they choked or they choked or they just lost heartbreakers. Say it however you want. But yeah. Go ahead. So I'm having a hard time with the Cardinals lineup. I mean, Pujols obviously still doing what he was doing: 37 bombs, 99 ribbies. Uh, Molina had a nice season, but I mean, look at up the middle: Skip Schumacher and Ryan Terrio, along with you know Del Scalzo would play there. For Call would get a little bit of run. Uh, Matt Holiday only played in 124 games, so he wasn't healthy the whole year. Um, Lance Berkman's on his last legs. He had a solid year: you know, 31 home runs, 94 ribbies. Um, you know, looking at their, their pitching, their pitching is really what got them there. Uh, Chris Carpenter, Jaime Garcia have really, really nice seasons. Um, Kyle Loesch, this guy was just like, I, I remember playing fantasy back then. It like, I felt like Kyle Loesch was always getting picked up and dropped. And he'd have these like amazing starts for them. And well, um, yeah, I mean, they hadn't had an okay bullpen, but like, it was kind of just a revolving door of who was closing between you know, we got here, Fernando Salas, Jason Mott. I mean, not the most impressive team. It's too bad the Rangers didn't win that series. Um, I don't know how you feel about the 90 Reds. I mean, I just watched the documentary on MLB Network about the Nasty Boys again the other day. I um, love the Reds. I love that but, team. Yeah, I know. Um, that's why we're going to let you talk about them because they're so awesome. I love it. It was such a fun team. They pull off the amazing upset of the, of the A's. They uh, swept the A's, though. I mean, that's, they didn't just beat them. They swept their ass. Oh, they murdered them, yeah. Yeah, that, that A's team, that, you know, three straight World Series and only come away with one of them there, uh, they were easily the best team in the league the whole time. But uh, that 90s Reds team, just, like, love the lineup. Obviously, the bullpen is one of the best ever. I think we need to talk about the NLDS, where the Cardinals and the Phillies played a great five-game series. And that, do you remember that game five, where it was Chris Carpenter versus Roy Halladay? It was a one nothing victory. Chris Carpenter goes all the way and leads his team after the Phillies had been up two to one. They lost the last two games. So they lost game four, five, three, and then they lost game five, one to nothing in a incredible pitchers duel. And that's how, that's how thin this razor thin this victory was. The Phillies I thought should have gone back to another world series and they, they never did. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it seems to be the what the Cardinals do. Uh, doesn't matter what year, who they're playing against, they go on these runs where they just they have these amazing pitching performances. They get the the home run when they need it, and you know they pull off these these victories and series over teams that on paper are far more talented. But it it just seems to be something that Tony Larusa could always uh, get the magic going with these Cardinals teams here, and that's what happened with the eleven team. Carpenter went nine innings, gave up three hits. He only struck out three, but he did it in the most efficient way possible. 110 pitches, nine innings. Halliday goes eight innings, gives up six hits, one earned run, seven Ks, 126 pitches. Uh, just a heartbreaking loss for the Phillies because they had all the advantage. They were at home. It was game five in Philly. It's just got to be... <laughs> If people are hearing this now and they're Philly fans, they're probably just annoyed to hear about this because it must be very painful. I know I would be devastated if the Tigers lost a game like that. We went through the same stretch, man, where we had uh, – I mean, at least the Phillies got a World Series out of that uh, short dynasty they had there. I mean, Tigers couldn't even get a World Series out of the, you know, 10-year run we had. That's true. That's a good point. But, okay, so getting back to the Reds then. So the 90 Reds. They beat the Pirates in the NLCS four games of two, and then they sweep the mighty athletics with Lou Pinella behind the helm. Uh, it was a fun team. It was a team that doesn't have – I don't think their pitching is mind-blowing, but they have a few arms. So guys that were undervalued and underrated, like Danny Jackson was a guy. He was a 20-game winner in the late 80s, and he was a good pitcher for a couple of years. He's not somebody who was by any means a Hall of Fame or anything, but – you throw in Danny Jackson, a young Jack Armstrong, the, the classic Jose Rio, who had an amazing playoff run that year, and then Tom Browning, who might be more famous for having his elbow or his arm just break when he was pitching. That was, uh, was horrific, but it's a good pitching staff, including the bullpen. That's why they probably won the World Series, in my opinion, because pitching wins when it's ready to go in the playoffs. Yeah, Randy Myers, Norma Charlton, Rob Dibble, the Nasty Boys were just absolutely filthy. You get to the sixth inning, and it's over. Uh, those the guys Royals before in. the Royals were the Royals. <laughs> yeah, they come in, and they take care of business. I mean, some real nice names in their lineup that I like, Larkin, Sabo, uh, Eric Davis, uh, a young Paul O'Neill then. And uh, they didn't put up the most amazing numbers. Eric Davis had the most RBIs with 86. Wasn't that uh, – didn't Davis get hurt in that series and they still won? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Yeah, like Eric Davis only, had a, only played in 127 games. Yeah, his, his, they thought they was done, and then they won the series anyways, and his career was never the same. He never had the speed that he had because he used to yeah. be – God, he was amazing. He was amazing. Oh, yeah. 19, I think 86 was the year that – I think it was either 86 or 87. He had a really amazing year. Yeah, he should have been the first 40-40 guy. I yeah, I mean, they only had four guys hit over 10 home runs. <laughs> uh -huh. 1990, right before the steroid era is about to blow up. They had Chris Sable's 25, Eric Davis's 24, uh, Mariano Duncan with 10. Barry Larkin only had seven home runs in 158 games. He wasn't a power hitter by any means, but he could hit 20 home runs in a season. Yeah. But he's a Hall of Famer now, and he's probably a Hall of Famer because of this series too. I mean, he, he had a great career, and he's from the University of Michigan, just like – Chris Sabo, and Hal Morris. This team is chock full of U of M grads, which is fun. Yeah, yeah Morris came off the bench, uh, you know, did a lot of pinch hit action, and uh, he'd come in for Benzinger at first base. They kind of shared that position. He hit 340 in 107 games. I remember looking at that stat when I was a kid because I had the FLIR 
the yellow Fleer baseball card of Hal Morris, and it said 340 batting average. I was like, wow, this guy must be amazing. But it was in limited plate appearances, 300 at bats. But it's still, I, I just remember that 340 gaudy batting average from Hal Morris. He was, he was that left-handed bat. I mean, he was only 25 then. I, I believe it might have been actually his rookie year or his second year with the Reds. But uh, I vividly remember the series against the A's. Uh, I was somewhat of an A's fan back then. But uh, obviously, I knew Barry, of Barry Larkin and Chris Sabo being, uh, you know, Michigan grads. So uh, that's why I kind of had a soft spot, soft spot in my heart for, uh, for the Reds, the 90 Reds. Well, I think if I had to choose, I mean, I, I want to pick the Reds just because it's the only Reds team on this bracket. That's part of it, which is maybe a lame reason, but hey, it's my vote, so who cares? But also, I'm not a Cardinals guy, so that's that's where my vote's going. I'm going with the Reds just because that's who I want to win. Yeah, I, I think I'd go with the Reds in a really boring series. <laughs> I don't think a ton of offense would happen. If you could get by, uh, you know, Berkman and, and Pujols and Molina, I think uh, – Reds would be okay and just get to that bullpen. Uh, yeah, and hopefully you get enough out of uh, Eric Davis. But, yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd take the Reds there. The one thing is the best pitcher is probably just for this one year is the Cardinals' Chris Carpenter. He went 4-0 and in the playoffs, and he won game seven in the World Series, just like he won game five in the NLDS. He was their anchor. He gave everything he had for this final playoff push. It was also the last year. This is like the final Albert Pujols run as well. So no arguments then. We're both going the Reds. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I think I'd, I think I'd go with the Reds. I mean, Jose Rio was was kind of carpenter for the Reds. I mean, he was amazing in the playoffs. That's true. That's a good point. Now the winner of this matchup would face the number one seed, the 1984 Detroit Tigers. Oh, but now is this Detroit bias or is this fair? I believe it's fair. Um, thirty-five and five. 35 and 5 start. Obviously, what they end up with, with 104 wins, I believe. Yeah, I believe that's correct. I mean, we'll talk about the Tigers next week when when they face one of these winners, but I I think it's just for them to be a one seed. I really do. And I actually was doing some research last night thinking of other uh looking up other opinions of, you know, uh different analysts or guys that work for MLB or put put articles out over the last uh, you know, 20 years about you know, these teams and the Tigers, 84 Tigers always rate pretty high. So uh, I, I think it's just to have them. as a I'd kind of like to see the 2011 Cardinals win the matchup. So the Tigers beat them. That'd be fun. But um, <laughs> I'm obviously rooting for the Tigers. I, I think they were a credible one year team. They were amazing. You kind of feel like since they were so good in one year that they should have done more in the long haul, which is a bummer, but the eighties were a competitive time. There was a lot of good teams that were, creeping up during the 80s it wasn't dominated have, by one franchise. i'd have to look to see there the tigers would have made the playoffs i want to say four times in the 80s if we hadn't expanded wildcard at that point oh yeah yeah i agree with that they made the one other appearance in 87 lost to the twins who won the world series so yeah well we'll talk about them next week but that's who the winner of the cardinals reds matchup will take on the 1984 tigers which leads us to the second of this region it's the they're back again. The 1996 Yankees that started the dynasty run, the seventh seed versus the number 10 seed who started another dynasty run. This is totally by chance. I di we didn't mean to put this together, but these are two teams that started many dynasties, the 2010 Giants and the 1996 Yankees. Dynasty runs. I love it. Yeah, isn't that cool? I think it's fun. Are you uh, 
probably going to go with the 96 Yankees because they're the better team? Or do you think the 2010 Giants are underrated? I was never a huge fan of those Giants teams. I think they played in pretty weak NL Wests at that point. Uh, none of those teams really blew me away during the regular season, but they took care of business when it got to the playoffs. I mean, the 2010 Giants, I mean, looking at this team, Buster Posey has one of his better years, bets 305. Uh, Pablo Sandoval's basically in his prime at this point. Aaron Rowan has a Aaron Rowan. Of, Aaron Rowan's kind of just a retread uh, after leaving the Phillies there. I mean, well, Aaron Rowan, wasn't he a part of the 05 White Sox championship team? I mean, this wasn't the best. Yeah, this wasn't the best Giants team uh, at all. I mean, Juan Uribe, uh, it's 24 home runs. Second to only Aubrey Huff on the team. Aubrey well, I'm Huff, not everyone's favorite player now. I'm not blown away by their offense whatsoever, but the key here is their pitching. Matt Cain has a really nice year. Uh, Lincecum was a stud. Madison Bumgarner is only 20 years old. He has a three ERA for the year. Uh, Zito's starting to wind down, but he has an okay year. Jonathan Sanchez comes out of nowhere. Jonathan he has, Sanchez. He I used to love him. Years, the 307 ERA. So you've got five real solid starters there. I and then Jonathan Sanchez. And then out of the bullpen, Brian Wilson was one of the best closers in the league, if not the best closer in 2010. 48 saves, 1.81 ERA, fear the beard. He was pretty, pretty amazing that whole year. Uh, as we run through the, the playoffs of 2010, they beat the Braves, uh, take care of another really good Phillies team. And then, you know, in a really kind of disappointing season, uh, the Rangers get there for the first time and lose four games to one, and the Giants take the series. Yeah, that's a total bummer. Uh, I really thought that Rangers team was the team, and that's what set the tone. Friggin' Cody Ross exploded in the playoffs. I remember that very well now. Edgar Renteria's last hurrah. It's just these guys who gave them moments that they needed in every situation. That's what the Giants did, really, with all their title runs. They just – they were clutch. They were one of the, some of the most clutch teams in playoff history. Regardless of what they did in the regular season, it was, it was moot. It was pointless. It's fascinating teams, really. But Yeah, they win every other year. 2010, 2012, 2014. Uh, Even number years, it's going to be a Giants title. Pretty amazing for a team that I never thought was that special. I mean, obviously, you win a series, you're a good team. I'm not saying they're not a good team, but uh, I think they're seeded uh, pretty correctly here at, as a number 10 seed, one of the lower seeds in the tournament. I agree with that because they weren't that impressive in the regular season. But, hey, the Giants – have a lot of teams in this tournament, but oddly enough, their opponent, the Yankees, also have a lot of teams in this tournament. So the 96 Yankees started it all, and uh, our good old buddy that we talked about on the last pod, Cecil Fielder, was on this team. He won a World Series of the Yankees, which is actually a reason I might vote for them, just because <laughs> these random reasons why I'm voting for teams is hilarious. But <laughs> look, at, look at these fun names that came off the bench for them. Cecil Fielder, Daryl Strawberry, Tim Raines. This team was fun because they had, like, they basically loaded uh, Wade Boggs. All these guys got their World Series that year. Boggs at that point was 38 years old, still doing it. Batted 311 that year. Uh, That's amazing. 390 on-base percentage in 130 games for Boggs. God, he was so underrated. I think he's really underrated. I do. I heard a story. I don't know if it's true, but Wade Boggs said that he never hit a foul ball into the right field stands in his whole career. Wow. We'd love to uh, have to research that. If you've heard that too, hit us up at Palazzo Podcast. 
at protonmail.com or tweet at us. Two L's, two Z's. Did Wade Boggs hit a foul ball to right field? In right field foul territory, he said he never hit a foul ball there. Wow. So he never pulled one that much or hit a you know blooper, you know, pop up there. That is wild. That's like Joey Votto never popping up. So I think this Yankees team's the better team, especially because of what they would become. But if it's for one year, what's funny again about these Yankees teams, just like we talked about the 2000 team, the most home runs was from Bernie Williams again with 29 home runs. Isn't that weird? Outside of New York, I think Bernie Williams is a very underrated player. Just looking at his statistics, he put up some really crazy statistics. Oh, I, I agree. I, I have a lot of respect for him. His guitar playing is immaculate. I mean, if you've ever listened to his albums, they, woo, they are beautiful. He's a beautiful acoustic guitar player. But as far as being a baseball player, he was just a little bit shy of being a Hall of Famer, I guess. You know, he had 2,300 hits. If he had had a couple more 100 hits and maybe another 100 homers, uh, he hit 297 for his career. So he was he's just a little bit shy. He's a really good player. A career 381 OBP is fantastic. To me, he's the kind of guy that you want on your fantasy team or on your baseball team because he gets on base, he plays good defense, he's clutch. He just gives you everything you'd want. I agree. I think the difference here might be the the Yankees' bullpen. I mean, John Wetland, 43 saves. Uh, Mariano Rivera had 40 more innings than him that year uh, but was more of the setup guy. He hadn't really come into, you know, being the superstar that he did become Hall of Famer until the, the next year. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, starting pitching for the Yankees didn't – that doesn't really blow me away. Andy Pettit in his uh, 24-aged uh, year. K-Rod. Eight losses. He had a great year. But, I mean, look at some of these names ahead here. They had 31-year-old uh, Kenny Rogers and Dwight Gooden. Jimmy Keys on his last legs. He uh, he actually had uh, 30 starts for them. He had the second most starts on the team. Uh, David Cohn, he's 33 at this point. He had a pretty good year. Uh, he only started 11 games. Did they trade for him? Uh, that David Cohn been on the team for a couple years because I think he threw that. Oh yeah, he was there in '94. He threw the perfect game, or um, yeah, that's right. In in '96, he uh, he pitched in that game five against the Mariners. Interesting note, though, the Yankees were down 0-2 in the World Series, and then they never lost again. The Braves, yeah. the Braves won 12 to one in Game One. Imagine Andy Pettit, what he would become in Game One against John Smoltz. People were probably like, "Oh, okay, we got a shot here," but he. <laughs> And I think that was in New York. I think that was in New York where the Yankees lost first two at home. That is exactly what happened. And then suddenly they go to Atlanta and they just flip the script and started from scratch again. They they didn't lose again. And they won the last two games by one run. Game five, one nothing on the road. And then game six at home, three to two. Of course, Charlie Hayes makes the final catch. And they're the World Series champions for the first time since 1978. Yep, Wade Boggs is riding around on a horse and all that shit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad the uh, the Braves only get one team in this tournament, and it's the 95 Braves, which I don't even think was the best Braves team of those 90s uh, era dynasties. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. You know, several of these teams could have had uh, three or four teams in but only get one, and then a, a team like the Rangers that you talk about don't even get any teams in, and they had two really, really solid back-to-back World Series appearances. Wade Boggs on a horse. That's all I'm thinking about right now. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, it'd be funny if Wade Boggs was on a horse eating chicken. That would be even more impressive. 
Wait, Mox has so many stories. Fried chicken, uh, the base, you know, the beers. If you ever watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, the classic episode about Wade Boggs and what is it, 24 beer or what was it, a whole case of beer on a flight? Or? No, it was like 100 beers or something like that. Oh, it's so stupid. Okay. That's like 100 beers on a cross-country flight that only like Andre the Giant could do. Okay, now it's stupid. Never mind. Uh, I want to make a note here. I thought my eyes were deceiving me, but the Yankees in the playoffs, or excuse me, in the World Series, they didn't hit hardly any home runs. Jim Leyritz had that big home run in Atlanta. He was a big World Series hero. Remember Jim Leyritz? Probably, probably roided out, but uh, hey, he got the job done. You know, I never realized that these mid-90s Yankees teams didn't hit as many home runs as I like, I thought they hit way more home runs. I mean, it's not like the 09 Yankees that hit a million home runs. but uh, Bernie Williams hit the other one. Two home runs in the yeah. six-game World Series for the Yankees. That's true. That's a fact. Wow. So, you leaning uh, Yankees in this matchup? Uh, boy, if I'm going to vote, I'm going to – I don't like either one of these teams, but I kind of like this Yankees team more than any other Yankees team. So, yeah, I would vote for the Yankees. How about you? Yeah, I'd probably go with this Yankees team. I love the the veteran leadership they have on the team, and obviously the bullpen's amazing. Uh, if they get past this matchup, they'll face the 16 Cubs, who's a two-seed in this region. So uh, that'll be a tough hill to climb if uh, either team gets by, uh, by each other here. 2016 Cubs, who you pushed very hard for, and I was I was kind of focused on the World Series and how it went to a Game 7 and it was so tight. And I lost track of their regular season. I didn't give them enough credit. so. That's uh, good on you for giving them the credit they deserve because they were much better than I recalled in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, 103 wins. I think why I wanted them to be a two-seed was their starting pitching that year was just ridiculous. Every guy's ERA was under four. Uh, they had just studs all around. Uh, the lineup wasn't amazing, but, that, I mean, they really put it together that year and obviously have one of the most amazing runs in the playoffs. Uh, take down the Indians in seven. We are halfway home, guys. We are moving up to the upper right half of the bracket now. We've got four games left. We're almost done. Remember, it's the, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo baseball podcast. Two L's, two Z's. That's Proton Mail. Palazzo podcast at protonmail.com. And then, of course, Twitter, Instagram, at Palazzo podcast. Two L's, two Z's. All right. The voting will start tonight. So make sure when you hear this that you go on Twitter and vote at the Palazzo Podcast, and spread the word. Use your hashtags. Do what you got to do. For God's sakes, let's maximize the opportunity. You're going to have seven days to vote, so make it count. Okay, Chris, we've got the 1985 Royals and the 1997 Marlins in an 8-9 matchup with the right to face the number one seed 2018 Boston Red Sox. What do we think of the 85 Royals and the 97 Marlins, two teams that did not perform that well in the regular season, but got it done in the postseason. I think this might be an underlooked matchup here. I think this would be a really, really nice series. Uh, just looking at the 85 Royals, they, they go through two seven-game series to win it all. Uh, they beat the Blue Jays. A lot of people forget the Blue Jays had some really solid teams in the mid-'80s. Uh, Royals take care of the Blue Jays in seven in the ALCS, and then famous World Series against the Cardinals, take down the Cardinals in seven. Uh, dun, so dun, dun. The name to be talking about always when it comes to uh, the Royals is their royalty, and that is George Brett. Uh, another great season, 30 home runs, 112 ribbies. 
only strikes he's underrated out, too. He only strikes out 49 times, but walks 103 that year. He's 32 at this time. We had talked about before the Royals having these really great teams from 76 on. I think it was 76 or 77 on, and they really don't break through and win a World Series until 85. Uh, one of the best mustaches of all time, Steve Balboni, has an amazing season. 36 yeah. Steve Balboni, who was, until Mike Boustakas a couple years ago, he was the Royals' single-season home run record holder. That's right, yeah. Yeah, 36 that year. I uh, Jim Sunberg behind the plate. Uh, Frank White still doing it. He had 22 bombs that year. Lonnie um, Smith. Looking at, yeah, Lonnie Smith. I was looking at Lonnie Smith earlier today. I didn't realize he stole this many bases in the 80s. Looking at uh, the 80s. 82 Cardinals and then uh, the Royals here in 85. Uh, obviously, the guy to talk about is, you know, in the pitching staff, Brett Saberhagen had an amazing year. He kind of was 21 years old, goes 20 and six with a 2.87 ERA. I think at this point, when Saberhagen puts up a season like that, you're thinking this guy's going to be a superstar for years to come. And I don't, I don't know what happened with him. Did he have arm problems or did it just kind of fade away? Because, uh, I mean, he was pretty solid for a few years, and then it just kind of fell apart for him. Uh, Dan Quisenberry out of the bullpen, 37 saves, 129 innings. Oh, he died a long time ago. Quisenberry was unbelievable. He also had an amazing mustache. Quisenberry looked like he was 45 in 1985. (laughs) Hey, we salute you, Dan Quisenberry. Sorry you died young, but that is a good point. And don't forget, look, there's Danny Jackson. We were just talking about him with the 1990 Reds. There he's winning another title with the 85 Royals. Danny Jackson, Bud Black's in that rotation. Mark Gubaza's a young rookie at 22. He goes 14 and 10. Uh, Charlie Liebrand, real nice season out of Liebrand, 17 and 9, 2.69 ERA. This was a real nice pitching staff they had. This is a great pitching staff. That's why they deserve more credit because they've got the they've got everything on this team. They should have won more games actually. Now that I look at their roster and I look at their entire scope here. This is, they got it all. They got guys who can hit for power. They got great speedsters. One of my favorite players growing up was Willie Wilson. He was so fast and he was a smooth outfielder who could hit for a little bit of an average too. Uh, never walked much, but that, you don't need that. You got guys who are getting on base left and right, hitting clutch hits. Uh, guys who didn't get a lot of playing time even who made differences in the playoff run. So I really like this Royals team because it's, like you said earlier, a culmination of a team that was really good they went to the 1980 World Series. Not all these guys were on that team, but George Brett um, was a big part of that. But this staff is just studly. And when you compare it to the 97 Marlins, it's a very interesting comparison. Yeah, it's a super balanced Royals offense. I mean, if you need stolen bases, you had two guys steal over 40 with Willie Wilson and Lonnie Smith. I mean, George Brett's going to hit for average and puts up 30 home runs. Brett was never a big home run hitter, but he mashes 30 back in 85 i talked about Balboni putting up a ton i mean you're not get hitting the ball in the gaps against this outfield of willie wilson lonnie smith i mean daryl motley hal mccray would sub in there oh hal mccray remember his legendary meltdown god that was awesome pat sheridan was on this team he came off the bench oh pat <laughs> he only batted 228 when hal mccray had that meltdown in the locker room that was one of, that's one of the best baseball meltdowns of all time Fantastic, yeah. Wow, absolutely. I forgot about that. Um, I wanted to make a note about the Don Denkinger thing because we have to address it real quick, but it's a load of bullshit. Take your Denkinger crybaby theories if you're a Cardinals fan. Maybe Dan White, I'm talking to you. Get out of here. 
you blew it. You had game seven and you didn't have the mental fortitude to stick it out, okay? So I'm not going to sit here and listen to any crap about Don Dekinger cost the Cardinals World Series. They could have won the game. They could have took care of business, but they folded. So I'm not buying that. I'm not buying it for a second. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've always been on board with that. Uh, I know MLB Network's done a couple different, like, kind of docs on, uh, on that whole series. And uh, you had talked about, was it Brian Kenny did a little segment on uh, why that didn't matter or something like that? Yeah, that series used to do the five – he'd give you five reasons of why it's not their fault or whatever back in, like, the aughts. So, yeah, Don Dickinger made a bad call. We agree upon that. But it's not the reason that the Royals won the World Series. It's never one play. Exactly. That's just myopic, whiny, people desperate to pin – people are always looking for the scapegoat. That's American society. It's always about scapegoats. And he was just – I remember little- after the uh, 2006 series where the Tigers lost to the Cardinals, there's all these people saying uh, – Tiger fans specifically, they were like, oh, well, if we could have thrown to first base or third base with our pitchers, maybe we would have won that series. I'm like, we got trucked in that series. We won one game. <laughs> yeah, that was trash. Uh, every World Series in the century has been bogus. But – for the Tigers, anyways. So the 97 Marlins, speaking of the Tigers, Jim Leland was the manager, and he won his first World Series after some heartbreaking events in Pittsburgh in the early 90s and late 80s when, uh, of course, Sid Bream sliding into home. That's the famous one. What was the name of the hitter who hit the base hit? Do you remember? Uh, Francisco. Uh, no. Is it Francisco yeah. Cabrera? That's right. You got it. Very good. Uh, so the Marlins in the playoffs – they won the NLDS, which was a newer thing back then. They swept the Giants 3-0. That's Barry Bonds in his prime, Dusty Baker, all those guys. And that was a surprise. It seems now that it wouldn't be the case, but the Marlins were put together to win a title because if you don't recall, or maybe you're younger, I assume you're probably not. You're probably our age. But Wayne Heisenga, remember, he went on a spending spree, and he bought all these players. He brought Everybody in, Bobby Bonilla, Kevin Brown, Gary Sheffield. This was a team that was built to win a title, but they didn't get it going right away. It took some time. Yeah, I mean, they had some old-timers on this team at that point. Uh, uh, Bonilla, Moises Alou was real nice for them. He was 30. But, yeah, they, got, they brought Devon White in there, Gary Sheffield, and everybody was only there for a couple of years, and then it was over. Um, Edgar, oh, Renteria, Edgar Renteria and Luis uh, Castillo up the middle, uh, guys that were 20 and 21 at that point. Uh, Jim Eisenreich's on this team, and he was on that 85 Royals team. Isn't that fun? It's amazing how these bit players do it, huh? They, there's a pattern. Where we keep doing this, and I'm, it's just funny. You notice these little guys. They're not big names, but they're part of, like, a glue for title teams. It's funny. It's like Robert Ory. Exactly. That's a perfect example. Robert Ory of baseball. Robert Ory of baseball. Big shot, Bob. Rasheed Wallace can't cover him in the corner. All right, so the pitching staff for the Marlins is – this is pretty hold solid. Up, hold, up, hold, up, hold up, hold up, hold up. So okay. Marlins take care of the Braves, and then they beat the Indians in seven in 97. That Indians team, that whole little short dynasty that they had in the middle of the 90s, they possibly could have had a team in this tournament, but they don't, unfortunately. That's a great point. That is probably the best team beyond those Rangers teams um, in the 2010s. That, that Cleveland team was so loaded in the 90s and had such a fun run. Two World Series, couldn't finish the job. They definitely should have got one of those. I agree 100%. I, I, feel like that, I feel like if that 97 team would have won it all, they'd be like a top four seed in this tournament. Totally, because it was a culmination of a team that was dominant. Homegrown talent galore. Manny Ramirez, Carlos Baerga, 
I mean, Jim Tomey, there's so many players on that team. Charles Howard. Nagy, even Orr Horsizer had his final run with them as a old timer. So yeah. I agree completely. He was getting a, a little bit older, but this was prime Kevin Brown. He was a big difference maker. Al Leiter was 31, getting the job done. Alex Fernandez, a guy that a lot of people don't remember, but for a few years, he was a really good pitcher. And then you got the, the bullpen with Rob Nen was kind of like um, one of the better closers of the 90s. If you, I don't know the save totals off the top of my head, but if I bet it, we looked it up, Rob Nen would be one of the top closers in the 1990s. He was getting 30 to 40 saves consistently for a while. Uh, didn't he move on to the Giants after this, or was the Giants yeah. before this? Yeah, he, he was a part of the Giants run. He was with the Marlins, and then they fire Salem to the Giants. And that's why Rob Nen was on that uh, 2002 World Series team with the Giants that lost. And that was like his last year, actually. Right. Levon Hernandez. How about that? He goes nine and three. Uh, he was only 22 then. He was, he was ridiculous in the playoffs, too. That's the name right there. I'm glad you mentioned that. Because despite Kevin Brown being the real stud of that team, Levon Hernandez was the stud of the playoff run, without a doubt. We didn't know who he was. He explodes on the scene, a defector from Cuba, and he was so lively and he had such a great smile he was a he was a real joy to watch I watched every game of that World Series I remember it quite well and uh, he was a clear difference maker for them and it's unfortunate he just didn't have that overpowering stuff he was he was a guy who was on and with command and he could he could pitch well in big games at time which he did with the 2002 Giants again there's another you know another connection to that team but he never <laughs> was able to keep that going for more than like a season really just short spurts at a time yeah so what do you think about this matchup uh where would you lean like i said this is kind of a uh, overlooked matchup here uh two nicely put together teams i i really like both pitching staffs i think i would actually lean towards the royals this is really tough this is a tough call folks i agree with you completely chris i i don't know what to do here i, I kind of like that marlins team i don't care that it was bought and paid for i mean that's at least the owner's trying i i hate that it all fell apart one year later but i think i'm with you I, i'm gonna give the royals my vote on this in a very tight matchup yeah we'll see uh, how the voting goes this week uh maybe there's some big jim leland uh fans out there <laughs> hey, give me a heater i'll be right back <laughs> okay next matchup in this bracket is the 2008 phillies and the 2006 cardinals I can't stand the 2006 Cardinals team. I don't even need to analyze it. I'm picking the Phillies immediately. It's a 7-10 matchup. Winner gets the right to take on the 1992 Toronto Blue Jays, who were a great team, back-to-back -back world champs. Uh, go ahead, dear. You, you want to give us some opinions on this. The 2008 Phillies are getting my vote just because I hate that 2006 Cardinals team, and I'm not going to lie about it. Yeah, I don't even think it's because they beat the Tigers in the 06 series. The Cardinals go 83 and 78, barely make the playoffs. Exactly. Take care of the Padres and then a really, really nice Mets team in, a, in an amazing series. Uh, they beat the Mets in seven. And then Andy Chavez. The and then one of the boringest World Series that I've ever watched was the damn Tigers Cardinals. Uh, obviously, this was not the best Tigers team. Uh, they had some better teams later down the road, but. This 06 Cardinals just, they don't blow anyone away. Obviously, Albert Pujols, one of the greatest hitters of our generation, puts up, you know, an amazing season. I believe he was MVP that year. But besides that, there's really not much to hang your head on. Uh, Scott Rowland has an okay year. You know, Juan Encarnacion, another guy who's ratting around. 
Um, you know, Molina's still there. Uh, Chris Carpenter puts together another super solid season. But besides Carpenter, they were just really trying to piece together this pitching staff. Uh, Jason Marquis, Jeff Supon, Mark Mulder, all these guys with terrible, terrible ERAs. Jeff Weaver with an ERA over five. Uh, Mulder should have been better. He was only 28, but I think he had injury problems that year. Who's that, Mulder? Yeah, he should have been better. He was still only 28. He wasn't done yet. So I, I think yeah, he had injury all, problems. It but, was arm problems at that point. Uh, yeah. They're trying to piece together a bullpen. Isringhausen would just keep falling apart for them. Adam Wainwright comes out of the bullpen in the playoffs and is just unreal. He's a 24-year-old rookie that year. That's what I remember most because he was young. He, could, he hadn't had Tommy John yet. He was throwing that nasty curveball, and he could throw fire and gas, and he was a stud. He was the closer in the playoffs. He was closing out games. He was a – I'll never forget, he arrived, and it was terrible timing for the Tigers. But one thing yeah. I want to mention, this is really fun. Do you know who the scouting director was in 2006 for the St. Louis Cardinals? Are you seeing this? Yeah, Jeff Luna. There it is. None other than Houston Astros <laughs> scumbag, Jeff Luna. I was just going to say that to you because we're both obviously uh, on the same site looking at this. And uh, it says scouting director and uh, general managers and all that. And, uh, I actually did not know that. Thank you, uh, baseball reference. And by the way, thank you, Joe Pasapia. You kicked our ass in the uh, baseball pods tournament, but we appreciate your information every day. So, yeah, the Cardinals team, it's a weird team. They didn't deserve but they won. They didn't deserve to win, but they won. So, hey, who cares? So be it. I'm picking the 2008 Phillies. I think that was a team that was that we built. Ryan Howard was an MVP, an absolute stud. Jason Wirth. There's all kinds of players that made a difference in that team. And uh, I'm picking the Phillies. I, I'd be hard-pressed to find a better one through nine of the last 20 years than this Phillies team. I mean, it was super balanced. You had the big bopper with with Howard. Chase Utley was in his prime, hitting out of the two-hole. Jimmy Rollins. Uh, Pat Burrell puts up 33 – or uh, yeah, 33 home runs that year. Shane Victorino, he's super young. Jason Worth. I mean, that offense was just stacked. Carlos Ruiz was a real nice uh, catcher for them behind the plate. Uh, and then you had those superstars at the at the front end of the rotation. Um, you know, Cole Hamels was ridiculous. And old school Jamie Moyer, 45 years old at this point, goes 16-7 and seven with a 3.71 ERA. Unbelievable. And a real nice bullpen. Brad Lidge was amazing for this uh, short dynasty that they had here in Philly. I, I would take them over the, this Cardinals team any day, probably in a sweep. Yeah, and this is when – this is when um, Brett Myers was still a starter, and he was fairly effective before he moved to the bullpen himself. Uh, Kyle Kendrick, not to be confused with Kyle Hendricks of the Cubs, uh, had a nice little season of wins. He didn't have a great ERA, but he gave him 155 innings. Um, Ryan Madsen's a great closer in waiting, and he's behind Lidge. So you're right. It's a fun team. So the winner of this takes on uh, the 92 Blue Jays. Okay gonna be a doozy uh i'm picking obviously the phillies are you picking the phillies you going yeah phillies and they would sweep them absolutely thank you i knew i knew we would agree on that one all right so now we got the last two games in the final lower right hand portion of the brackets with for the right to take on the 1989 vaunted oakland athletics it's the 82 cardinals i feel like we're talking about the cardinals all the time versus the 2014 giants Thank you very much to Madison Bumgarner destroying his body and sacrificing everything to help them beat the Royals in 2014. 
Who you got, Derry? Oh, this is an interesting one. The 82 Cardinals are such an odd team to me. They had two guys have hit over 10 home runs that year. Nobody hit over 20 home runs. Daryl Porter hits 12 home runs, and George Hendrick, right fielder, hits 19 home runs. The next highest on the list is you got Keith Hernandez with seven, and old-timer Gene Tennis off the bench also had seven. So how the hell did they make it to the series? How the hell did the 82 Cardinals win it all? I'll tell you why. They stole nearly 250 bases. Oh. Lonnie Smith, Willie McGee, Tommy Herr puts up 19 stolen bases. Keith Hernandez, 19 stolen bases out of a first baseman. That's incredible. Um, they, they just steal a ton of bases. Uh, real, real solid pitching staff. Uh, you had Andahar, Bob Forsh was there, Bruce Suter, the Hall of Famer, uh, coming out of the bullpen. Uh, Real nice 82 team for the Cardinals. Uh, in the playoffs, they, they take care of the Braves in three, and then they play uh, Harvey's Wallbangers, the 82 Brewers, and they beat them in seven. That was a fun series. The Suds series, as they called it, the two beer giants going head-to-head. Yeah. I... Yeah, so this 82 Cardinals team worked back then. Would it work now, or would it work 1999 until now? Probably not. Uh, Ozzie Smith, Tommy Herr, Lonnie Smith, Willie McGee, Keith Hernandez, all solid players, not mashers, guys that hit for real nice average. Most of these guys in this lineup batted 280 or above. Uh, decent enough pitching staff with a good bullpen. Solid team. I think they're seated here as a eight seed, uh, which is, I think, pretty fair. Uh, winner will take on the 89 A's. Uh, what's your take on the 14 Giants? They're obviously the last in the three teams from 2010 to 14 to win World Series. I will say, though, the Cardinals and the Brewers in their World Series, it was a really fun, highly competitive series. And the Cardinals won the last two games just to win the World Series. The Brewers, they were on the brink, but the Cardinals closed it out in Game 6 with a 13-1 to blowout in Game 7. On October 20th, 1982, they won 6-3 thanks to Joaquin Andujar and Bruce Sutter's splitter closing the door. So this team barely won. I, I think if you play the series 10 times, you know, it, it could be a 5-5 five and a five split. Who knows? Maybe 6-4 Brewers. But I just want to make that clear that this team, uh, like you said, you were like, how did this team win? It, they barely won. And I just want that to be clear. But as far as the 2014 Giants, it's just Madison Bumgarner. The story will always be Madison Bumgarner doing everything possible to win that World Series that year. And they only won 88 games. I mean, that's garbage. There's nothing in the regular season that stands out. They had to beat the Pirates in a one-off wild card game when the, the wild card was expanded to the one-game playoff. And they won that one, barely. And then they won the NLDS over the Nats because the Nats were always choking back then before they got rid of their choke job moniker but then they took care of the cardinals 4-1 no problem and suddenly it's like oh here they come and they had to clean out all of the midwest by beating the royals four games to three i think this is a team that just had a lot of veterans who did the job like we said before they hit in clutch moments right that's what they did they hit and they pitched and they played great defense which needs to be appreciated because i think one of the standbys on this team and all three 
Giants title teams is the pitching and defense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Tim Lincecum, even at 38, puts together an okay year, at least uh, eating up a ton of innings and had an okay ERA. Bumgarner, obviously, he's 24, then goes 18 and 10. He has a real nice season. And when you look back on it, obviously, like you said, it's all going to be about the playoff run. Um, I mean, Tim Lincecum, this is when he started to fall apart. I mean, this is the end of the Giants run. It's just another Giants team that doesn't blow me away, but they take care of business in the playoffs. I mean, when you look back on this team 25 years from now, I mean, you're going to remember Madison Bumgarner. And then at least from their lineup, you'll probably remember Buster Posey, even though his kind of his career's kind of gone in the dumper. But there's really no other kind of like studs on this team. I mean, everyone was just kind of solid. But I mean, nobody had over 100 RBIs. Posey led uh, the team with 89. But uh, yeah, pitching and defensive, that was the way to win. And Back in 2014, the Giants took care of business. They beat the Royals in the in the series, like you stated. Uh, this is an interesting matchup. I think two uh, not really teams that are going to blow you away. Uh, but if you look at these teams in a series, I think let's say you got Bumgarner going up against that Cardinals lineup. Uh, anybody gets on base, a walk or a single is basically a double with this Cardinals lineup. So uh, Bumgarner would have to be pitching with guys on base. So that that would make it pretty tough. This would be an interesting series, and I think it would be pretty pretty close, pretty tough one to call here. The Giants starters, besides Bumgarner, are trash in the World Series. <laughs> Vogelsong has a 982 ERA. Tim Hudson has a 614 ERA. This Jake is for the playoffs? This is in the World Series. Jake Peavy pitches two games. He starts two games, has a 1279 ERA. I mean, nobody else could do double-digit innings on the pitching staff for the starters, except Madison Bumgarner. He goes 21 innings, has a .43 ERA two victories, and the closing save in Game 7. That's it. I mean, it's, it's the greatest pitching performance in World Series history for a series. It's just unbelievable how much they would lean on that guy. He really was the difference maker because the starters let him down completely, and the Royals were a really good team. The Royals, I think, could have won back-to-backs. It was, it was obviously this close. They, they had clutch hitters and great relief pitching, as we all remember when they beat the Mets the next year as they deserve to. But it could have been a – we could have had three Royals teams on this list instead of three Giants teams. It's just interesting how <laughs> these little moments – it's just these slight moments of guys making a difference in a moment that determines how life plays out. I wasn't super involved in that series. I didn't watch too much of that series, to be honest with you. It was just two teams that didn't really blow me away. I was really – once the Tigers were falling apart, I was really getting into the Royals because the Royals had just taken over the Central Division. So I was rooting for them, and they didn't get it done. But I watched that series, especially Game 7. And I remember uh, Madison Bumgarner was given, the, he was given that new truck, and he couldn't have cared less. It was really funny. It's just the whole, <laughs> the, whole, the whole ending of that series was bizarre. I don't give, I don't give a shit about your truck. I don't need your truck, man. I got to get to my rodeo. So, yeah, I'm taking the uh, – I'm taking Who are you the, taking? This one's tough. These teams are like, they're kind of similar. They really are. They're not impressive. Uh, uh, I don't know, man. I, I'm going to take the... I'm going <laughs> to take the Giants just because of the Bumgarner performance, and that's it. That's the only reason, because otherwise, I just don't, I don't really have an opinion. 
That's fair. Uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see how this shakes out in the voting. Uh, I, I really hope some uh, people that are doing some voting at least look back and look at some of these uh, statistics or, uh, you know, history of what happened, specifically in the playoffs for that uh, 14 Giants with Bumgarner. And then, and then even how the 82 Cardinals played. Uh, look deeper than what those uh, power statistics are. Um, trying to make a pick here. <laughs> I think regardless, the whoever wins this, the A's in the next round should beat them easily, hopefully. I don't know, man. If you get Bumgarner going up against the Bash Brothers. Uh-huh. Could... That'd be funny. What if it was the Giants A's, 1989 series? Oh, that'd be fun. I'll, I'll, I'll go with the 14 Giants. Hey, all right. Who cares? All right, then our final matchup of the evening, it's the – Seven-seeded, 1981, Los Angeles Dodgers versus the 10-seed, 1987, Minnesota Homer Hanky Twins. This is a team. Both teams are from the 80s, but they're very different teams with different styles. What do we think about this? What, what are you thinking, Deary? What's your initial impressions of this matchup? So this is odd because the Dodgers are really difficult to – rank because they're in the 1981 split season that they had so the first half of the season they they finished first place in the first half of the season yeah the reds got screwed that year i want to make that clear the reds got totally screwed because they had the best record overall but they missed the playoffs i've always tried to get clarification on how that split season worked because the dodgers finished first for the first half and then the second half they finished in fourth place i believe yeah, so it was the first half winner versus the second half winner in each division played in a playoff series. And that's why a lot of teams that had the best record overall or the team that had the best record overall missed it completely because they didn't win either half. Yeah, it didn't even matter. That's so interesting. Do you think they'd ever do something like that again to a split season? <laughs> Maybe, you know, I was thinking, what if that came into play now with everything going on? But it doesn't seem like there'd be a reason to do that now. But I would like to – I think it's kind of fun. I always – back in the day in minor leagues, it always used to be that way. They'd have a first half and a second half. I, I remember looking at baseball cards and seeing, oh, first half winners, second half winners. I didn't even know what it meant because I was young, but now I understand. Yeah, so looking at this 81 Dodgers team, obviously, you know, we were one year old. I mean, I, we didn't know anything about these teams. But uh, most of the guys on this Dodger team, you just got some kind of uh, savvy veterans here. Steve Garvey, Davey You don't Lowe. remember Fernando Mania? <laughs> Ron Say, Pedro, Pedro Guerrero, and Mike Sosha are both really young there. Uh, Pedro Guerrero had a great World nice, Series, by the way. Pretty nice lineup here. Uh, obviously, yeah, Fernando Mania. Um, 80 was kind of the year when he was – was it was it 81 or was it 80 that was his kind of breakout year? Was he 19 when he broke in or 20? It was 81 was the big blowout year, absolutely. He exploded on – he pitched opening day when he didn't expect to, and then he just kept going from there, and that, that was the magical year. Yeah, I mean, pretty nice uh, pitching stats here in their, what, 110 games that they played, I believe. You know, Fernando Valenzuela. Jerry Roos, who uh, always on his baseball card looked like he was 112 years old. <laughs> looked that up yeah, years. he did. He looked – he always looked like he was 80. He was crazy. But he had a yeah. two ERA. That's – these ERAs on this uh, – Starting staff are incredible. Yeah, Burt Hooten. <laughs> Burt Hooten. Burt Hooten, Bob, Bob Welch. Welch. Eastern Michigan's own. Yep, Steve Howe comes out of the bullpen, and he was he was a stud out of the bullpen. Uh, pretty pretty solid lineup, too. It would have been really interesting to see how it would have gone if they played a full 100 and 
62-game season here. Rick Sutcliffe is on here with Tom Needenfewer, a young Needenfewer, and Sutcliffe was only 25. And oddly enough, the one and only Dave Stewart is on this roster as well. He was 24 years old. How about these names? Yeah, it was Dave Stewart's very interesting to me because I don't ever remember hearing about him till you know, the A's days. And then as I started uh, collecting baseball cards from, you know, before those years, specifically in the last, you know, probably five, six years when I've been getting, putting together all these older sets, seeing Dave Stewart in, in like a Phillies uniform or a Dodgers uniform, like going back to the seventies really blew my mind. I didn't realize that uh, he had been in the league that long before he got to the A's. And by the way, uh, so it was a best of five, just like the NLDS is now. Each first half and second half winner played each other. So the Dodgers and the Astros each won the first and second halves of the Western Division, and then they played a best of five. And it was a very close. All the Dodgers series went 3-2 over the Astros. Uh, the NLCS, which was only five games back in 1981, was against the Expos, and it was a really good series. If you, I know I was young, but I've gone back and looked at this after the fact. The Expos had a great team, and they really thought they were going to get over the hump that year, and they lost a heartbreaker when they really were up. But they, I believe they lost the last two games. or Yeah, they lost game four and five at home to the Dodgers, and that was it. The Expos had three Hall of Famers on that team. Exactly. It was Prime yeah. Gary Carter, Andre Dawson. Who's the third? Tim Raines. Tim Raines, rookie, he exploded. That was another guy. Fernando Mania and Tim Raines exploded that year. And his crack pipe probably exploded in his back pocket when he slid in the second. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He talked about that. <laughs> so this Dodgers team is fun, but uh, the Twins team, I think, is actually more fun, even though they beat our beloved Tigers in the 87 ALCS. The 87 series was fun. I remember it was one of the first World Series that is in my memory that I remember watching quite clearly. It was really a fun series against the Cardinals. It went seven games. It seems like both Twins World Series in 87 and 91 were both fun. Guys that are just part of baseball card lore back in 87, you know, Kent Herbeck, Steve Lombardozzi, Greg Gagne, Gary Gaetti. What was that? Remember that trivia question you asked me about Gary Gaetti? A couple oh, what was that question? It was a really good question, and I didn't get it right. Um, but – Dan Gladden, Kirby Puckett. Kirby Puckett is one of the most underrated players in baseball history. It's really sad that we lost him at such an early age. And Tom Brunanski was a guy who played for the Cardinals as well, and he had 32 home runs that year. They did everything well, and Frank Viola was the star of the staff. So they had everything. This is They should have won more games, I think. I know that you were saying I should have uh, – seeding-wise, that the 87 Twins should have been lower because they – didn't have a killer regular season. They only won 85 games in a non-wild card era, still finished in first. But uh, their pro season is impressive. This team was better than 85 wins. Exactly. That's the, that's what I'm saying. But, yeah, they, you are what your record is, I guess. I mean, yeah, Brunanski, Puckett, Gaetti, Herbeck, all those guys hit close to 30 home runs, if not over 30 home runs. Great uh, bench. Don Baylor was on the bench as a pinch hitter even at 38 years old. Uh, I mean, I think what hurts them here is they're starting pitching. I, I mean, Frank Viola puts up a really, really nice season. 17 wins, 2.9 ERA. Uh, Burt Blylevin, 267 innings. I mean, he's just eating up <laughs> innings. Uh, yeah. Their bullpen with a lot of, uh, you know, names we know of. Juan Berenguer, Jeff ah. Freeland, 
Juan Baron Gare, baby. None uh, of these guys' statistics were very good, but uh, I, wait, I, wait, I, wait, 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 wait. Are you seeing? Are you seeing us? Steve Carlton was on this team that year. <laughs> Forty-two years 40, old. Forty-three innings pitched. I don't hell? remember. If anybody's a Twins fan and is hearing this, uh, email us about this. Was because there's no way he was on like the World Series roster. Did he like give it a shot and then he gave up? Because he must have. He must. He went one in five in 43 innings. He must have just said, "I'm done." I don't know. That's weird. He had to be. I mean, Joe Necro was still on that team too. He was 42. God, this is weird. A lot of old veterans, like really old veterans on this team. But yeah, you're right. Their their pitching staff is god awful. Lee Straker, Mike Smithson. I don't remember those guys at all. And these are some of the guys getting the starts. Their their starts are spread out among a lot of guys. Mark Portugal, who's a name uh, I remember, he was only 24. He got seven starts during the regular season. But um, yeah, I don't know. So what do you think? Twins or the 81 Dodgers? It's a more intriguing matchup than I thought it would be. I like the Dodgers pitching staff. I like the the kind of veteran leadership they have with guys like, say, um, Garvey. Um, this is an interesting matchup. I love the, this Twins lineup. I think one through six, they're really tough to take down. All these guys are in their prime, too. Oh, man, this is a tough one. And their bench is amazing. They have great bench guys. You know, Gene Larkin had the clutch hit. Uh, he was part of that team. Just guys were everywhere that made – Paul Newman, Randy Bush. Yeah, they got a lot of action out of their bullpen. A lot of these guys played in over 100 games. I, I don't know what to do here. This is tough. This is a real tough call. Um, I, I think I'm going to lean towards the Twins just because of the first half, second half. The Dodgers – I don't know if they really deserve to be there. You know, I don't care if you're going to hear this and say, oh, could you say such a thing? But, hey, deal with it, all right? I think that the Twins, despite – they still won their division. I mean, if the rest of the league sucked and 85 wins was as good as it gets, hey, that's – so be it. So I'm going to go with the Twins, I think. I think I'll lean towards the Dodgers because of uh, Fernando. Fernan- Fernando, me- uh, Fernando Mania takes over and the uh, – they move on to the next round to face the 86 Mets, 108 win, 86 Mets. We should play uh, Fernando by ABBA. Ooh, Fernando. Fernando. Um, was Steve Sachs on that 81 Dodgers team? Was that his rookie year? Yep. That's when he uh, came up, I thought. I just was – I the. Um, yeah, he was 21. Okay, so the one thing about this Dodgers team was they had had – the same infield for many, many years. It was like a legendary solidified infield with Ronce, Bill Russell, Davey Lopes, and Steve Garvey. And when Stacks came up, it was controversial because the next year he would take over. But it was just interesting. That's just a little piece of information about a really well-respected infield that deserves a lot of credit. So I'm still going with the Twins. That's my vote. You're uh, going the Dodgers? No, I'll go Dodgers. I'll be interested to see how this one uh, gets voted on as well. Yeah, me too. This is uh this has been this has been really fun. I'm really enjoying this. The the winner is gonna take on the eighty-six Mets. And when you put the eighty-six Mets as a two seed when you first started this, I was like, What? What the hell? No, I mean they no, had a it, great it, them as a one seed and the eighty nine A's as a two seed. You were right though. The eighty six Mets, I didn't know that I didn't know that they won so many games in the regular season because I just remembered their playoff run, but they were really good in the regular season. Yeah. So this could be fun. This is so exciting. This has been way more exciting even than I thought it was going to be. I really enjoyed this, dude. You put, you put together something really fun, 
And I really hope that other people can kind of catch the enthusiasm, catch the spirit on this. Yeah, I mean, we were looking for something fun to talk about, non-fantasy related. Obviously, as the season gets closer to June, that we hope something uh, will, will happen, uh, you know, whether it's first week of June or second week of June. Obviously, there's not going to be any fans, but uh, we'll get back into fantasy here in a month or so. But uh, we thought we'd uh, throw something fun out at our fans and get you guys to get uh, active on Twitter and get, get you all involved and uh, get you a part of the conversation because uh, this was really fun to create. And uh, I'm really excited to see how this shakes out. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, before we go, don't forget, we are the Hey, It's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. This is uh, episode 13, I think. Um, I wanted to say thanks to uh, Baseball Pods, at Baseball Pods on Twitter for, first of all, putting us in their um, – in the bracket for the 64 best fantasy baseball pod. We lost to uh, fantasy black book on Monday, 64, 36, something like that. It was a respectable effort. We had a couple hundred votes our way. So we just wanted to, th I wanted to thank baseball pods for putting us as a 13 seed. It's very kind of you to do that. And I wanted to thank everybody. Yes. Everybody who voted for us. Thank you so much for your support. If you, you guys keep giving us what we're getting from you now, in another year or so, who knows where we'll be. So it, we just really like connecting with you. And I want to make that clear that it's, it's fun to do that. Your tweets, your comments, your emails, it's all wonderful. It's all gravy. And uh, thanks for having us be a part of the Baseball Pods tournament. How about you, dear? Any comments? It was really fun to be on Twitter and just kind of track uh, how the voting was going. Uh, I was getting the word out to all of our uh, loyal listeners. Uh, what was it, 64-36? We got 36% of the vote. Not bad. It was like 500 votes. That means we got a couple hundred. Better than some of the other uh, matchups I saw. So, uh, I think well, us being a newbie, us being a virgin to the baseball pods uh, world, uh, I think we had an okay showing. So maybe next year uh, we can uh, continue to put out good content and get some traction with all you listeners. Maybe uh, maybe we'll bump up into a maybe top 10 seed. Who knows? I completely agree with you. I, I saw there was a huge upset yesterday. The Yahoo pod lost to the Upper Decker pod. That was a 3-14 matchup. They lost. What? Was, yes, it's shocking. The first day, there wasn't many upsets, but I think the more this goes, people will start getting more aware of it too, and there might be more upsets. So good. Anybody who pulled an upset, hell yeah, man. That's what this is all about. And uh, I know it sounds cheesy, but I think we were just glad to be a part of it. So that's it then. We're done. Any final comments, uh, Deary? Anything on your mind? Have we covered everything? Uh, what's happening now? Are you still in the bunker? I'm I'm in the basement right now. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out uh, more house projects to get through here in the next month. I've painted almost all of the ceilings in the house. I'm going to retile the basement and retile the bathroom in the basement. But uh, I got at least another month and a half of this. So uh, maybe we'll put out two, three pods a week because I got nothing else to do, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a perfect note to end on. This has been the Hey, It's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. Two L's, two Z's. We really want to get you voting on this. I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but come on. Put the votes into it. Get the word out. Hashtag it. Make this thing fly. It's not about us. I just genuinely want to see what the masses think is the best team of the last 40 years. I think it's going to be really cool to find out the legit answer if we get a lot of traction in response to this so please share it get involved i know there's a lot of brackets out there but i think this is actually entertaining 
All right, Yuri, I'll talk to you later, buddy. You guys take it easy. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.